Four. Four. Watch out. Watch out oh, down four. the course. <laughs> that four, not the number four. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. It's that kind of show today. We're talking to Jeffrey John Ayami, and he has written a book called Still Me, and it's a, about golfing. It's a novel. It's a great little story, and uh, we're going to get to that just after we take uh, care of a bit of, of how you doing good. How am I doing? Good. Manitobaville, Manitobavillians, Manitobaville, Manitoba, Manitobaville. I think that's what uh, I was talking to somebody from out of town, out of province, out of maybe even out of country. I can't remember, but they were commenting on how nice people are. Manitobaville. So there you go. Hashtag that. And uh, so it's a pretty good thing. Anyway, um, just saying hi. We're going to continue with our writer series here. We're going to get into some different show content coming up in the fall. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of interesting things happening. Check out the website, manitobaville.ca, when you get a chance. We'll put some uh, info up there. You'll be able to see what's going on, what's happening, where things are going to be headed towards. And a hint, hint, it might be a little bit out on the range. So a little foreshadowing there. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so anyway, uh, this is Mahangel. You're listening to Manitobaville the podcast and we are happy to uh, have you along for the ride okay so today like i said john jeffrey amy and his book is called still me we talked quite a quite a bit ago let's see october 2020 so this is a replay for y'all as we uh post some of our past interviews up here um it's part of our writer series as you know as we've been talking about and we're very excited to pass some of these along into the modern lexicon of the Manitobaville podcast feed for all y'all. Okay, um, what else? Oh, look for us on social media, I guess. You can DM us through there. You can follow us. Um, oh, boy. Uh, rate us, I guess. Find your favorite podcatcher. Find us in there. Uh, you probably already have if you're listening, but please tell a friend. Show your uh, in-laws how to use a podcatcher. They might be interested. Who knows? Anyway, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get up with some new content here pretty soon, some new interviews, and some uh, more directional content changes are really coming up. We're really excited. We're looking forward to making that announcement soon. So we've had our heads down and uh, heads together, and we've been developing away. We've been writing stuff and looking at different possibilities. And I think you're going to like what you're going to hear. So yes, remember, if you want to advertise with us or if you want a promo put in here or something, let us know and we will accommodate all of that. We know the people who can press those key buttons and make it happen. Okay, so let's get on with the interview with Jeffrey John Amy right after this little to-do. So you've written quite a bit of stuff. I was looking up your bibliography. Uh, thanks. Yeah, uh, I guess when you get old, it, you look back and go, hey, yeah, it's actually been quite a bit. But I just do what I can and, you know, do a little bit at a time. I try. These days, I kind of have my fingers in a few pies. So I, I try to have a book project going and a TV project going and a film project going. Oh, okay. uh, in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. and uh, 
just uh, sort of noodle them along and make sure that uh, I've got some kind of creative outlet. But it ends up, uh, yeah, you end up getting projects. You get a list of projects yeah. at the end of the day. So you do uh, TV stuff to make writing affordable and writing to make TV writing affordable? <laughs> oh, I'm def- I'm definitely a writer with a day job. Yeah. So I, I work for the federal government. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And, um, so you're subsidized. The, you're a subsidized writer. Without, yeah, exactly. I put in up. a lot of work. <laughs> so I call it like it's work fair. Yeah. Rather than uh, getting a series of government grants, I, uh, I, I get a better exchange for doing work. I was going to say, it's probably the same amount of work anyway, so you might as well just work, right? <laughs> yeah, instead of filling out applications, I just yeah. con- conduct science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's perfect. So, yeah, we're here to talk about your current book. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, what, what made you write the self-confessional? Well, it's uh, a little confessional, but it's an amalgam of a whole bunch of sort of lives that I've I've uh, been connected to. Um, uh, really, what started it off was um, my uh, new love affair with golf a few years ago. I really started to play a lot more and by myself and uh, just out on the golf course. I would think about, you know, what kind of what kind of project could I make? Uh, that involved golf because I like to write what I know and write what I love to do. And when you're writing a book, you have to keep yourself interested and entertained for months. Mm-hmm. So it has to be it has to be rich subject matter for yourself. And um, really, I sort of tried to think of the symbolism of golf and the meaning and the why. Why do I like it? What, why is it meaningful? More meaningful than just whacking a little white ball around. And I ended up, you know, kind of finding a bottomless pit of, of meaning and, uh, you know, talking to relatives about it or seeing, you know, people uh, in my family and extended family who loved golf for much of their adult lives and, and how they, how it became a part of their life definitely informed this book. Um, and, uh, you know, I just had my book launched last night and, uh, one of the subjects we talked about was golf and health. And you get out there and, you you know, you start to kind of build a, a social circle. And over time, uh, you know, people's health is uh, tends to deteriorate as you get older. And golf is one of those sports where uh, you can play it until your very last day. And um, so that becomes, you know, part of the territory is, is you know, how's, how's Bill doing? Oh, well, Bill's, you know hold his back he can't play for another three weeks or you know you start coming up with all the health problems that people have and uh and of course uh death also becomes a part of it so so i knew i wanted to sort of look at that connection and examine you know golf and life and golf and death and uh um you know going through some some grief myself and you know my family uh experienced a, a lot of grief and that certainly informed what i was writing about as well Wow. So is this, uh, what's your other work like, uh, like for your, what kind of TV work had you done? Um, did it get into these um, kind of areas as well, or is, was it more procedural type script? Uh, no, it, it runs the gamut. So I got really lucky and, um, I was an aspiring screenwriter. Um, you know, I, I really started to, I've always wanted to be a screenwriter and, uh, really got serious about it in about 2007. And, um, 
took some courses and began to work on things. I had a, a feature film in development with uh, a production company in Los Angeles that never went anywhere. Hmm. But I started to make connections and, and um, I had a friend from uh, my journalism days who had actually moved over to screenwriting. And uh, she happened to work on a show called Less Than Kind, which was, of course, for people who remember, it was on HBO Canada and mm-hmm. the Movie Network. And uh, the setting was Winnipeg. And it wasn't Winnipeg masquerading as Chicago. <laughs> it was it was Winnipeg. Like this, the, you know, the theme song was the weaker events. Mm-hmm. I hate Winnipeg, right? Oh, nice. uh, one great city. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so it was just, it was my favorite show. And then... Um, I got a chance to work uh, in the writer's room for Less Than Kind. And uh, that really informed uh, all of my writing. So I was sort of writing like young adult stuff and, and you know, fantasy type uh, stories. Um, I self-published a couple of uh, teen zombie books. And then, uh, and then I got to work on Less Than Kind. And I got to see how the pros do it. And, uh, you know, that was an award-winning show. Uh, for TV writing, acting, directing, the whole gamut. It's one of the best Canadian shows that's ever been made, and uh, I was so lucky to be a part of it uh, for the last two of the four seasons. So I was a story assistant and story coordinator for that show, um, and that, that really sort of changed the direction of my writing. Uh, I, I got a little bit more authentic, I think, with my writing and started to, to write from a more emotionally authentic place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just like to, you know, kind of explore, uh, my own emotional, uh, world, but also to really understand people because that's really the thing that, that keeps me interested is just trying to figure out like how people tick. <laughs> um, so it's, so that just, uh, to make your short answer extremely long, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Uh, I guess I've written a, a bunch of stuff. I've never written about golf before, but I like to think that I'm always trying to write about, you know, people and the human experience in some way, shape or form. Okay. What did you do before 2007? Uh, were you, like, as far as writing goes, were you? I was, I was always noodling with fiction. I had like, I would put together like, um, you know, a writing group uh, with my friends or people that I knew who liked to write. And I'd always... I'd always have something that I was kind of noodling at, kind of like that that guy that has the Camaro in his garage or his Mustang or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's you know he's he says he's working on it, but he's not really working on it; just stays in the garage for for yeah. years and years. So I was kind of like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But writers so write, like, right? I, Isn't that the thing? Yeah, writers it, write. Yes, exactly. And I was in a job where I had to write a lot. I was in a, a, a media relations job okay. with the government. So, so all of my writing energy was kind of getting poured into that, writing up, you know, media releases and lines and, and uh, briefing notes and that kind of stuff. So I didn't have a lot of energy at the end of the day to write what I love to write. Um, and so that, that was a big change too. Moving into a more scientific field really helped me sort of leave that side of my brain alone for a few hours. And then I had time to come back to, um, you know, storytelling, whether, and it was always visual storytelling. Like I've written, you know, comics and I'm working on a video game with some friends and it's, it's always about telling stories in a visual way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, I hope that comes through in the fiction too, but, uh, yeah, it does. It evokes like I'm a visual thinker. So as I'm reading, you know, I'm, I'm seeing what you're writing about, which is great. You know, 
awesome. It's uh, it's always nice, you know, when you read. It's, it's confusing if, if somebody isn't describing things properly or giving you a scope of something that sort of closes the book down and then you're just right. reading a story. But if you can, if it can evoke images, then I think the, the reader is, is, uh, it's like you, you're gifted so much more when you read that kind of book. And, and that's, that's great to hear because, uh, you know, that's, uh, writing is about connection too. And at least it is for me. So I was almost like kind of putting a message out there and seeing if people connect, and, and can yeah. identify with it or if, you know, am I communicating clearly? And so, uh, uh, it's great to hear that you could, uh, that you could visualize things. That's, yeah. Yeah. I was in the garage. Uh, very was, rewarding for me to hear. I was on the golf course in Halifax. I was, you know, I was there, there with, with the character, <laughs> you know, for sure. That's great. As far as producers looking at, um, picking a, a, a book up to option, I think that helps too. Mm-hmm. If they're sitting there saying, because they work in the ultimate visual medium, so, yep. you know, if they, if you can put them there, I think they have an easier time saying, oh, this could be a screen project too. Is that something you're, you'd like to see happen with your, your fiction? Yep. I would love it. Um, I never, uh, I never put that intention in. I'm a big believer. I think there's, there's a, a comic book writer named Alan Moore, who is mm-hmm. probably my all time favorite. And, uh, he, has said that, uh, you know, he's always writing to try and push the medium forward. And so he always wants, he's always thinking about, um, how do I do something that I can only do in this medium? And, uh, I, I think that too. So I'm, when I'm writing a book, I'm trying to write something that can only be accomplished in a book. And that's sort of how I tell, like how I figure out like what story is good for a movie, what's good for a TV show, what's good for a book is, you know, what am I doing with the medium here? And so if if someone comes along and wants to do an adaptation, that's awesome. And I definitely want to be part of that project. But uh, I'm not thinking about it at the time. And I think there's there's a lot of, like, contemporary fiction now is a lot like describing a movie. Like, there's a, like, it can be so plot-driven and visual that it kind of feels like yeah. um, you're, you're reading a movie. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't I didn't want to do that. Yeah, you're being dragged along to the next plot point, and you know it's coming, right? Yeah, about yeah now, and then yeah, then you're off to the yeah, next exactly. <laughs> part of it. Yeah, I'm not saying that there's some kind of secret code that the Templars put together, and that has anything to do with what we're talking about now, but it might be. Yeah, might well, be. well, you know, three acts. <laughs> uh, every example is best given in three examples. Um, three plays a big part, I find, in the in the beats of writing and and sort of TV. Mm-hmm movies, yep. things like that. There's power in the number three and, uh, uh, there's power in a lot of numbers, but, uh, but three is certainly one that always, always comes up. Uh, but there's power in two as well because people expect three. And so if you give them two, you're, you're, you are leaving them hanging. <laughs> yeah. so, well, I guess there's, the, there's, the, the three act thing also is, um, you know, it's, it's almost fantasy It's fulfillment for people because, uh, I heard one person describe once that humans, we only live in two acts. We have our first act and then we have our second act and we never get to our third act. We're always in our second act. So movies and theater and TV shows and books sort of give us that third act and let us have a fulfillment to sort of a, close the loop a little. Interesting. That's very interesting. I hadn't heard that before. 
there's that some up. sense in that. Yeah. Yeah, because we're Except, just always going. We're not, you know, we, we never, even if you think you did, oh, there's an accomplishment. Well, there's a tomorrow. You got to face tomorrow. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, there's uh, the hero's journey is a very popular sort of framing mechanism to put stories together. And it, it kind of takes that three act structure and turns it into, you know, even smaller pieces, but still within those three acts. And I, I think when you're turning from act one into act two, you always see this hero that makes reluctantly decides to make this choice to enter this, this quest or journey or however you want to say it. They basically mm. accept the, they accept the proposition. Um, whether it's, you know, Luke Skywalker deciding to leave Tatooine or, uh, whatever, there's a, a million examples you can use. Um, well, but, three, uh, if you use three I, examples, it's best because then the threes, right? So, right. <laughs> so Luke Skywalker, so here are the Frodo. three best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Here are the three best. There's Luke Skywalker. There's Frodo. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> the, um, Donald, no, Donald I, Trump would be the third one. Oh God, but, reluctant hero. I don't think he was very reluctant. <laughs> uh, he but, didn't have um, to you do know, this. <laughs> I wanted to say too, though, with this uh, that hero's journey, it's almost the opposite of life, right? Because how mm-hmm. many of us actually go, mm, okay, well, I guess I'll take this adventure. Yeah. Like I, I think a lot <laughs> of us get just kind of sucked into our lives, and we don't feel like we have a lot of control over them, <laughs> and, and uh, we have to make decisions. But life isn't really what we what we um, manufacture often. Yeah, like we can love Luke Skywalker, but your friend that, that never seems to uh, settle down, we always have disdain for. And we're always like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I'm living. I'm on an adventure. And you're like, no, nah, you're not being useful. You're just wandering around. You're being lazy. You're whatever. You can't commit to anything. You're flawed. And then we turn around and watch Star Wars and go, man, this is great. So what's yeah. up with that? <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm insanely jealous of people who are super happy with what they have done. Mm-hmm. And especially like, you know, just like living a life that, you know, does it like I wish I was less uh, ambitious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I don't I, I think movies and TV kind of taught some bad lessons for me. And uh, that call to adventure is maybe uh you know, to, it's a, a call that I want to heed and, uh, you know, living a life that is simple, probably, uh, I wish I could be more satisfied with a simple life. Well, writing too, like writing, writing for a novel or writing for nonfiction or like long form or, or novelization, it, it probably gives you that freedom because you're not tied to all the technical matter that goes into making television or movies where you can just take yep. a pen and pencil or piece of paper and you can wander through a life and, and make notes as you go. And it's not very yep. cumbersome. Whereas the other ones you have to slowly accumulate all the dross that goes along with, you know, accomplishing the task. And it's, you know, including putting an audience together. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's your, yeah, what's your sure. movie idea and uh, how are you going to market it? Right. And you're like, geez, man, there's so many other things to do. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. Whereas and if you're writing a book, you can, you know, it's yeah. Not... The creative control is definitely like fun. It's it's the most creative control for sure.
Yeah, and that's what the publishers are. The the the, the amount the amount of publishers you can approach is great because once you've written your book, you can go and say, okay, who wants to publish it? Who who has this audience? And it sort yep. of takes the, that that work out of it too. And they go, this would be great for you know who's buying our books right now. We know how to market this. Let's go. You know, and then, mm-hmm. then you start thinking about your next book while you have you got on book tours and things like that. Uh, yes, I didn't get to do it on this. one. Uh, book, obviously, mm-hmm. because we're in COVID times, but uh, my first novel with Turnstone Press uh, called No Escape from Greatness, um, we uh, did do a small tour. I got to go to Ottawa to visit a bookstore there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and also the uh, Word on the Street Festival at, in Saskatoon, okay. where I got to rub elbows with David Suzuki and Biff Naked. It was great. <laughs> So, so I got to do a little tour. Yeah. So how did you find that? Like the, the, when you were all done, you'd put the book to bed, you'd, you know, it was being published. Mm-hmm. So the publishing process is its own period of time. Um, did you have to get back into the idea of the book or were you, like, was your head somewhere else already? Or did you, was it easy to sort of snap back into that mode? Yeah, I kind of, uh, it's just a totally different headspace. And so I kind of feel like there are three phases to a uh, creative project. There's like the creation aspect of it. There's the editing, which is a totally different part of your brain. It's so much more analytical and you're starting to think about other considerations other than just pure story. And then there's the promotion side. And the promotion side is so extroverted. And so like, I mean, if you can be really shameless about your product, and my product, by the way, is called Still Me, A Golf Tragedy in 18 Parts by Turnstone Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, please please do consider patronizing Turnstone Press. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, uh, so if you can be a shameless self-promoter, that is really <laughs> what you're trying to do. And uh, like um, when you're writing, it's the most introverted process possible, like you can imagine. And so you go just down this spectrum of like, I'm just within myself. I'm in my own head. Uh, and if you get energy from that, which I do, it's awesome. And then you get into the promotional aspect and um, you can, you know, sound confident and you can be really good at it and really well practiced. But if you're an introvert, it just like mm. takes the energy out of you completely. Yeah. So I found, I find touring to be like really exhausting. Yeah. Um, it's fun. I love talking to people, but after, at the end of the day, I'm beat. Like I'm totally beat. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the story, no problem. I can like, I remember, uh, a fair bit of what I've written. Um, so I can always talk about it, but, uh, um, I still find the act of like just being kind of on and out there, like is not an energy boon for me just because of just being introverted. So that's like going to the 19th hole where if you like playing golf, maybe you don't like the clubhouse so much. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, I've got to go like throw a golf club <laughs> after my round. <laughs> yeah, and other other people show up and they're like, "I'll meet you at the nineteenth hole. You go golf. I'm just going to go socialize." You know, for them, yeah. it's a completely different scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I'm sure it's like it's very fun, especially if you're in like a club setting or a league or something where you've got like a set of people that you can socialize with regularly. Um, but I started golfing like kind of by myself and, uh, just to like take a walk and, and kind of think about the the process of golfing. 
Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to golf with people more, and it's a totally different game. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you have to kind of step outside of yourself more, and uh, and you know that people are watching you, and that has been like it's been an interesting psychological test for me to yeah. golf well while people are watching. Uh, so by the end of a round, I'm like, yeah, I'll just maybe grab some drive through and go home. Yeah. <laughs> so I get, yeah, for you to be the best of both worlds, cause as an observer, you get to watch them, but on the other hand, yeah. it flips over immediately and, and you're on display. Yeah, totally. So it must be but a head that's... spin in a way too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you start screwing up and you're like, why? I just I just did the exact same shot last hole, but now this guy's standing over my shoulder and mm-hmm. I know that I have to get it over the water. Why did that happen? <laughs> yeah, There's something deep inside of me that I'm going to need to analyze. <laughs> so so do you think guys like Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus and, and those guys, do you think they're actually extroverts because they, they excel when a lot of people are watching? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I wonder. I think that uh, they have like a champion's mentality for sure. It's probably it's probably extroverted, but it's probably a lot more like detached. Hmm. Like there's like a simplicity to their psychology when when they're performing because they can withstand all kinds of pressure. They've figured out how to deal with that pressure. Um, and uh, I can only imagine what it's like to be that famous. Like that's just got to be just endlessly. Um, tiring. Like even even an extrovert would have to get worn out after a while. Yeah. Uh, for just you know people coming up to you and stuff, it must be hard to appreciate. Um, but uh, by all accounts, like if you watch Jack Nicholas on TV, especially, he's just such an affable guy. He's totally beloved still. Mm-hmm. He uh, welcomes people to his home and and to his home golf course often. Uh, yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. And then Tiger, I think. Uh, you know, watching interviews with him, he feels more like a person than he used to. Yeah. I think he was sort of like groomed to be this machine that won championships and uh, life has taught him a little bit of humility. So now I think he's he's probably more popular than he was. Really? I still yeah. think he's a bit of an, I, I think he's more of an introvert than, than Nicholas though. I yeah. get the sense he likes his privacy. Yeah, I remember when, when all that stuff happened to him, um, People didn't like him because they couldn't interview him. He was in the bubble and, and media was always yep. pushed back and all that. And then that thing happened with him. And then he came back and everybody's like, well, he's not going to do well. You, you can't come back from that and the back pain and the knees or whatever. And then he, then he won something and everybody just snapped right back into, we love this guy so much. And it was like, yep. wow. Like, it was like, you know, I didn't care. I didn't have a, an opinion necessarily, but it was like, I was just amazed by everybody just going nuts over over his comeback and yeah it's it's funny who gets a second chance and who doesn't yeah like i'm not sure how that all gets decided but uh i guess i think it's if if you entertain me you get a second chance i think that's what it is but uh i i i'm fully of the belief that people can redeem themselves Mm -hmm. so uh and i think you know, he was, I think at one point he was the richest athlete in the world. Mm-hmm. And certainly it's not, when you look at Tiger Woods, you're looking at a corporation, right? Like there's, you know, yeah. so many people who work for him uh, that would be helping him make decisions or, or making decisions for him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the whole, you know, stuff with his ex-wife is pretty nasty by the sound of it. But then he also got pulled over for a DUI. People mm-hmm. forget a couple of years later, he was intoxicated coming 
driving home from, I think he was driving home to Florida from Texas yeah. and uh, got pulled over and he was under the influence of a few things mm-hmm. and uh, uh, had to do some rehab for a while. But that seems to have been forgotten. <laughs> and, and then he won, but yeah, so you can go, you yeah. can have your big, your big fall off, but if you, and I know what you mean, because a lot of players didn't become l- the legends that they, they could have, I guess, maybe I think of like a guy like Nick Faldo back in the nineties winning big, you know, out of nowhere, mm-hmm. this guy wins and everybody's like, whoa. And then he doesn't win that big again for a long time. Yeah. And people go, well, you know, he's okay. He's a good guy. We like him, you know, nicest guy, everyone, whatever, but no adulation, not the same way. And a lot of yep, people are like exactly. that over the years where they'd, they'd win one and then everybody's like, oh, they're going to, this is who we're going to see for the next long time. And then they just don't, you know, so I guess we like a winner, right? Like a consistent, even yep. you can have your, your V-shaped um, fall off and come back, but you got to have that same, same response in a way for people to really jump back on the bandwagon. Seems weird. Yeah, it is peculiar. And it's definitely, you know, it, it's related to marketing too. Like there is a, they, he built his brand or they built the Tiger Woods brand very, very well at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, he resonated with a lot of people. It might be the less cynical way to say that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, you know, I, I think that uh, much has been written about Tiger. And I'm, I'm a fan. Like I was very um, moved when he won the Masters last year. Um, because I could see that he had been through some stuff and he was experiencing joy. And I think there was something that wasn't quite joy when he was just piling up all those championships. Mm -hmm. It was more like, like domination was kind of the, like the fist pumps and the gritted teeth and stuff. It wasn't really a smile. It was more like the red shirt on Sunday. Yeah. Yep. Well, the red shirt's still there, but the uh, it's, it's not quite the same. There's like a little bit of a blood color yeah. <laughs> in the red now. A little more sanguine. Yeah. And, uh, a little yeah, more of that I, relaxed I wine it, color, maybe, as opposed to the Yeah, exactly. The, the I, I think he's become more relatable as yeah. he got older. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we had a golfer from Winnipeg, didn't we, that was doing big time stuff. What was his name? Um Oh boy! Well, there was—I know there's Dan Halderson. Yeah, was I thought the kind of first Manitoba golfer that I remember growing up. Mm-hmm. And then, oh boy, yeah, what was, what was the fellow? Yeah, uh, I, I can't remember. Yeah, he—he he just. Uh, I think he started to play uh, in Manitoba amateurs again the last couple of years. Yeah, but I cannot for life me remember his name. Yeah, so it's that kind I, of thing where if he'd won, I remember he won some stuff, and then. Yeah, had he kept winning, it would have been legendary, you know, in a way. Yeah, around here. Yeah. 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 And maybe, and maybe, who knows, like worldwide, I don't know. A lot of, you know, like who's that guy from Australia that just took over and everybody just loved, like he he won for a while and was consistent, but everybody just loves that guy, you know? Yeah. Wears hats and everything and, you know, so you can, you can make quite a name from wherever you come from. Yeah. Well, look at Brooke Henderson right now. I mean. 22 years old is she and from Regina I believe or from no she's from Smith Falls Ontario I guess but she won the uh, she won the you know some of the LPGA major championships she's the winningest pro Canadian golfer ever at the age of 22 Mm -hmm. male or female so Brooke Henderson is like is going to be Canada's greatest golfer for the next series of years yeah and uh, she's amazing her sister caddies for her 
Uh, she's really fun to watch and apparently really nice person as well. So there's a there's a good Canadian golfer to follow. Um, doesn't have to. I, I actually am a fan of the LPGA. I think that uh, the golf is just as good and maybe maybe more interesting because there isn't that power game that's happening in the men's side right now where it's like mm-hmm. they can all drive at 400 yards. Yeah. Like yeah. that's not the golf that I play. No, so, and that's like why they, that's the, why all the golf clubs have different slants to it. It's about it's about knowing your your um your lob, you know. Yep. <laughs> like a driver has yep. less lob than a than a wedge, you know. And then there there's 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 variations in between, a lot of gray area. And it's a lot a lot of room yep. for nuance. And um, it totally. should be a style point game. It should be, you know, here's dots on the fairway. You got to hit those as you go down kind of thing. Who gets closer to there gets some points along the way. Interesting. You know. And so you would have judges, judges at each hole. Well, you, well, you could, like, well, you could judge each other because that's always fun, right? You know, in life. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it'd be like, okay, we got to hit that. You know, every fairway would have, you know, here's a, at 50 yards, you got to hit that first or get close to it. You know, whoever, you're not get trying to, that's not the, the end of it. It's just, we both hit a ball. Oh, you got a little closer. You pick up a, a, a point there, a point one or whatever, you know, and then from there you hit it the next one and. I don't know. It could, it could be more interesting that way. I feel there could be games within the game as you move through. I think it. you're going to need to develop this rule book. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, think like you... people that can't, you know, drive big drives would be, I can do this. And I, you know, makes you look at your clubs differently, right? You'd, you'd have a lot, yep. a lot of thinking to do. That'd be good. If you could set up rules where it's, you know, you really get penalized if you make the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. If it's like, well, I could go for a broke here, and mm-hmm. uh, but if I make a mistake, I mean, they've tried to do that with hazards on the golf course, yeah. where instead of if you just lay up and are careful, mm-hmm. you get rewarded. Yeah, but exactly. you could make it really explicit. Yeah, You could say like, you know, if you hit a wedge and hit it accurately, you get X points, but if you hit it long and miss, you lose points. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think you've got something here. I think you need to develop a rule book. Okay, I'll get on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, cause, yeah not every hole. Year? What's that? Sorry. Did you golf this year? No, I have not golfed since the '90s. I golfed. A, I got into it a little bit uh, way back when, and um, mm-hmm. I found that I I did I liked it best when I had a, a driver, a putter, um, like a nine and a seven, a really light bag like that, and uh, and I wasn't like very good at it, but uh, I found those clubs for me sort of solved all the riddles that I needed to, to work around. But I went to one club out in, um, Southport, north, south of Portage is the old base golf club. And, um, and I, and I was only one, you know, seemed like I was only one there and I was, and I liked to walk. I just wanted to walk and have a slow pace. And, uh, this other fellow came up behind an, an older fellow and he's in a cart and I was just like, you know, just play through whatever. And he says, Oh, you want, come on, let's go together. And, the acceleration that happened to the game is just like suddenly we're like zoop up to the wall, hit the ball, zoop up to the, zoop, 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 zoop. Yep. And I got to the nine hole and he's like, you want to go around again? And I, was, and I was dizzy. I was just like, no, nah, I'm okay. And I think that's the last <laughs> time I golfed <laughs> because I, I couldn't, oh, yeah. I was looking around thinking, is there any, is there any golf courses where you can just slow down and play? And I really couldn't find any and I didn't look too hard, but I thought, man, it's a nice game when it's a walk and and you're sort of collected and if your pace is naturally slower 
but it seems like everybody's yeah. like, I only got two hours. I got to, you know, and they're ramming up next to behind the other people saying, let us play through. And there's big conflicts and, you know, it's just like, oh, uh, it, it, it gets too competitive in a way and it's supposed to be relaxing and about, yeah. you know, well, it's about science and it's about physics and, you know, and, and, and it shouldn't be about personalities of people you don't know and don't know you. That, that's, that was my impression well, anyway. So I'd like to get, I, I wouldn't mind golfing again if I could find that place to just be calm about it. I don't know if there's uh, a course in Manitoba that is walking only. I think you can get a power cart in just about every course in the province. Yeah. But, uh, um, but that's still to say, like, there are definitely people out there who like to take a leisurely pace. My suggestion would be if you want to go really slow, go when it's raining, because then <laughs> yeah. it's going to be it's going to be uh, far less busy. Yeah, and, I, uh, I guess the, gol- the golf cart it, it makes it fair weather too, right? Because it's you know that that yep. type of mentality, that type of person, and the golf course of yep. course wants to make money, so it's like yeah, play fast because I can jam a bunch more tee times in. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know. Usually people want to play at a good pace, but uh, there's always there's especially, you know, summertime, you get out to cottage country, you'll find those uh, courses that uh, do have a leisurely pace. Um, like I know we play Victoria Beach for a, a two-week period. We'll get a membership at Victoria Beach mm-hmm. and uh, play. We'll play there maybe a dozen times in two weeks. Yeah. And um, uh, usually it's like two and a half hours for nine holes, which is quite slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because people are taking it easy. There's, pe- there's no tee times at Victoria Beach. You just walk on and you wait and you get take your turn. And then there's usually people in bare feet or sandals and there's mm-hmm. no dress code and they've got their clubs that have been stored away at the cottage for 50 years. Yeah. And uh, it's just nice. It's like no frills. Just get out there and play. And it's a nice old course, uh, well de- well developed. And uh, yeah, that might be a good one for you is to get back into the swing of things. <laughs> but again, every course in Manitoba has been busy. Mm-hmm. So like COVID, COVID has been a huge boon for golf as a pastime yeah who knew you could spend your vacation money here to that extent <laughs> everybody wanted yeah, to turns go out there is stuff to do here <laughs> yeah and it's just as hot i mean when it hits 40 above you might like why would you want to be in an all-inclusive resort in mexico when you could just stand outside on your on your porch and, and sweat the yep. same and drink the same and you know yeah honestly the, like I, I miss spray cheese, but that's about the only thing I miss about the States right now. Which one? And what's that? Uh, what, what? I miss spray cheese. Spray You're not familiar with spray cheese? Spray cheese. Where's that called, in Wisconsin? The somewhere? brand name, I'm gonna plug a uh I'm gonna plug a brand here. It's called Easy Cheese. Okay. Um and uh it comes in a spray bottle <laughs> uh and it is cheese. Okay. And uh Sounds like it's kind of like so a funny. miniature <laughs> yeah. It's uh like a miniature whipped cream bottle is kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Um and uh you press the side of it and out comes like liquid cheese and it comes in a variety of flavors. Put it on hot dogs all the time or uh burgers. Okay, it makes it's, that little squiggle. Uh, like they, they show yep. like the baseball game or something, they want to promote it. So they yep. show the, the ketchup and the mustard and the cheese squiggles. Totally. We've come up with an adjective in my family for for this product. It's called Disgust Delicious. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, it's gross and fantastic at the same time. Yeah. Like most things. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and so so I miss that, and that's about it. Maybe I, the occasional I'm sorry, but Chick Fil A, I I do really enjoy their products. I don't enjoy their business philosophy, but I enjoy their product. Okay. Um, and and uh, that's about it for the states right now. I can't wait until things become more civilized in America <laughs> so we can go back there. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think COVID has anything to do with the law. I mean, as much as anywhere else, but. Uh, uh, you know, even if COVID wasn't happening, I think the political climate down there is so horrible that I would not be traveling there anytime soon. Spend the travel dollars up here. Yeah, like, I think it's, um, if you really look at it, I mean, exact, like, define the term civil war for me, because they're so close. And I think it's not impossible to say they are currently in the middle of a civil war. And it's um, worse because the and, first civil war, well, the first, the first war they fought, the revolutionary, it was all of the, what was the country, all the colonies banded together to fight this overseas thing. The second mm -hmm. one, the civil war, it was like a group in the South versus a group in the North. And now it's like groups on either side in communities. So when they yeah. have a, this time when they have it, it's, it's like every place is a risk of, if I didn't like that person for generations or whatever, then I'm just going to march over there and say, well, here's my chance. Yeah. 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 It's just scary times. And I uh, just hope they get through the election safely. Uh, but uh, I have this thinking feeling that, you know, like just, just to vote, people are going to lose their lives. I just have this bad feeling. Mm -hmm. So I hope that that is not true, but uh Boy, we're, they are in some dark times, and it's spilling over to everywhere. Yeah, is it coming? But anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it you know, like some of the some of that stuff does spill over. I think it the license that people have in the states to be um, intolerant and you know violent and support their beliefs at the cost of other people's lives yeah. is, is starting to spill over into Canada. And uh, I, I'm free to so, oppress you, so get off my case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the distrust of institutions, like, that's starting to spill over too. Um, do we have racial relations problems? Do we have systemic race, racism in Canada? Mm -hmm. Absolutely oh, yeah. we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that what's happening in the States is just a different kettle of fish. And uh, I, I would love to see the systemic racism in Canada addressed. Um, I don't think we address it the same way that the Americans need to address theirs. There's mm. got to be different methods. And it might be a revolution in the States that's required. I'm not sure we require that here. I don't know. I think, I think I, back in the late 80s or 90s, that whole um, uh, politically correct speaking came along when people mm -hmm. started taking offense to certain things. And that's really grown and grown and grown and grown. And it dawned on me the other day that that's really what, you know, countries like Russia really rely on, like, because they can put, they can put up a, a Facebook post that says a certain thing a certain way and people just get violently uh, angry about it. And that yeah. wouldn't have happened in the seventies. People would have looked at, well, eh, you know, well, then I'll say this to you. And then you go, oh, okay, well, I said that, you said that, I guess we're even, I know well, you the, think the you medium, know, yeah. But, but, the, the, I'm a big McLuhan guy. The medium is the message, right? And the message is that you have a license to be outraged. Yeah. And and I I think that uh, one of the big changes in the last twenty years is really the end of the age of reason. And uh, we used to look to 
you know, we would read things and try to learn things to formulate an opinion based on evidence. Mm -hmm. And now there's so much out there. We basically take our opinion and then we go find evidence to support it. And we believe whatever we want because we can have, we have echo chambers and bubbles that tell us and reinforce whatever we want to believe. And you can can interrupt somebody after three words and then use their three words against them. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and it's... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it used to be where, the... where people would say, okay, we're going to listen to this person. There was a Canadian TV show on CBC back in the 60s. I can't remember what it was called. But basically, they would have a just a limbo set, black limbo with one chair and a little microphone thing. And they'd put the person mm-hmm. up on there who wanted to be heard. And the journalist yep. would sit back in the camera and just ask questions. And yep. But they would just let them talk. So if they gave their stat answer, there was silence. And then the impulsion yep. to keep talking was there for the guest. And so they would just keep spilling all their ideas out. And at the end of an hour, you'd go, wow, that guy's a real creep. And his whole support <laughs> thing would fall apart. Yeah, and it would be like, and even I, his followers I, would go, well, I didn't know he thought like that too. Oh my God. You know, but, yeah. but you have. I you, believe they, that show is called This Hour Has Seven Days. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like. It's like if you just let people, and it's like they say in space, we have the freedom of speech. And people say, well, it's really, that's true and that's great, but it's also the freedom to listen. So if you don't let me listen to this person, I'll never know how crazy they are and I'll never know why I don't like them. And I'll always be in this bubble where they're just feeding me bits and pieces to keep me like supportive. Whereas mm-hmm. if you open that up and say, well, here, talk for everybody, you know, nobody's going to interrupt you or put any other thoughts out there. Then, you know, you can find good people that way. You can find bad people. You can find middling people, but at least, you know. Yeah. I, I wish that uh, we had trusted news organizations. I think we sort of have one in Canada, mm-hmm. but it's just so easy to like disregard the, the news channel of opposing uh, viewpoints for people. So yeah. I know certainly for me, like, you know, like Fox News to me is completely a propaganda machine. Mm-hmm. But I know that for people that believe in, uh, that are Fox News watchers, they believe the other news channels are that fake news, right? Yeah. And uh, now I know that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. But I also know that other opinions exist. And just because I can tell them that I disagree, that doesn't mean they're going to change their opinion. And mm-hmm. that's really the quagmire we're in right now is there's no middle ground. There's no like, okay, here's a trusted source that we can both agree is the, the correct answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, especially you know, when you I, tell people I, how to talk for so long, like this whole politically yeah. correct movement for decades, people are backed into a corner and they're like, well, if this is my corner, I'm going to fight out of it. And that's it. Like Totally. Like I, a, I have a, a minor in my degree. I have a minor in um, philosophy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about there was logic and sort of going through that I think there are like many logical fallacies and uh, if we all kind of operated with the, the ground rules of it's a bad argument if you're using logical fallacies we'd probably get a lot farther yeah. right like attacking yeah. people rather than their argument is like mistake number one and but, uh, but understanding philosophy there's always that joke where somebody takes first year university course and they take a philosophy course and they say, yeah, they just taught me enough there to confuse me for the rest of my life. But a lot of people don't (laughs) even get to that first philosophy course. So you're dealing with people who are homespun and 
and listening to other people who took two years of philosophy courses, you know, and know kind of how to work you. And yeah, and well, I how many armchair public health experts are there out there right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think <laughs> I know whether I should wear a mask or not, and and do I? Not really, <laughs> you know, not at all. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like, and I can make, I can sit and make an argument. I don't need to, I'm not gonna. And then it's like, I can sit and go, well, on the other hand, everybody should for a while yes, or for a long while or whatever. And, you know, and then you can say, well, I'm yeah. not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wear it all the time. Okay. Well then I guess you'll be staying home more than it's okay. So then you start in that logical base, but if you can see both sides and talk around it and listen to yourself, you can sort of say, okay, well, here's how I'm going to do it. When I go to the store, I'm going to wear the mask. But when I get out of the store, I'll take it off and I'll be in my own zone and then I'll be at my own home. And then if I go somewhere where there's people, I'll put it on, you know? And, yep. and so you sort of find that there's there's middle grounds to everything. Whereas well, people down I in the States are like, we're going to go and get 60,000 people together and who cares? You know, I, I believe one thing yeah. only. It's, yeah, it's absolutely wild. And a part of that is the fact that advice changed. So, you know, as evidence kind of came online, the, the actual official advice changed. And that was, uh, you know, something that needed to be done. But because it changed, it it has less credibility. And that's and if there's someone like you need leadership to actually say, this is what we're doing, people. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, to have a chance. And so in America, they have no chance. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all cities. They're all people. they're all congregated in cities, too. That whole rural life just bolted and every now they're reproducing in cities and people there multi-generations have no idea about any life other than a city life and it's yep. really hard on them because everything they do all day long involves being around other people yep indeed yeah so tell me about your your growing updates your your manitoba uh cred and um like your formative <laughs> times and how that sort of shaped Absolutely. into you into what you are now yeah for sure uh so i was actually born in quebec uh both my parents are manitobans okay and uh but uh, my dad was uh, stationed at military base there in baggettville quebec ah, okay. and then uh we, we moved to rivers manitoba where mm -hmm. uh, my mom grew up uh when i was very young i actually spent a lot of time in Verdon, Manitoba, where my grandfather owned the restaurant that was right off the highway. Okay. It was called, it was called the Claymar Inn. And um, I grew up in Verdon, spent summers there with my grandparents often. And uh, we moved to Winnipeg when I was in grade two. Okay. Uh, and uh, lived here ever since. Uh, so that's, that's certainly... Uh, formed a huge amount of... of uh, you know, informed my writing a huge amount. And um, also, I've spent a lot of time in rural Manitoba uh, with work. I've gone to northern Manitoba often. I, I like to think that I've seen a lot of this province and love it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm definitely a Winnipeg patriot. I'm not one of those uh, people that likes to slag the city very much. I think uh, we're kind of like the opposite of New York, I used to tell people. <laughs> who are like, you wouldn't want to visit, but you'd really want to live there. Yeah. And that's, you know, like the, yeah, yeah. Uh, I day think to that used thing. to be true. Yeah. I think people are discovering that there's a lot to enjoy when you're visiting here, but uh, um, we don't really do a great job of promoting it. Um, I, and I think we could do more. I, I think we've got a self-esteem problem, but it's starting to go away. I think we're one Stanley Cup away from, <laughs> uh, from really having like a really strong sense of self-esteem. 
Yeah. How come your character yep. in the book then, when he's when he's uh, in Halifax, there he says embarrassingly, there there says as most people are embarrassed to say, I'm from Winnipeg. Was that was well, that the thinking? Of that? Yeah. So was he? <laughs> but you know, you wrote that. So, but is that sort of uh, what you find? Like a lot of people when they're away, they they don't really want to say they're from from here. Um, I think that uh, yes is the short answer. I think that. Um, there are a lot of people who are from here. There's not a lot of people who are here. Mm. And, uh, you know, like they, uh, you'll find like if you go to Calgary or Toronto, you can find people who are from Winnipeg easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like every town has a contingent of expat Winnipeggers, um, or Manitobans. But, um, I, I do like, like I was saying, I think there's a bit of a self-esteem problem. I don't think people are very proud to say that they're, you know, that they live in Winnipeg and that it's a great place to live. Um, and you know, I, I personally think so, at least where I am. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I'm in the Southeast of Winnipeg. That's, that's what I'll say. Okay. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm in the most affluent neighborhood. I think it's pretty right in the middle mm-hmm. and, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. There's a lot of old neighborhoods, like all the, all the parts of Winnipeg used to be five different cities or, or towns yep. as they started out. So they all have their old, old sections and then mid range, you know, as they built out and connected. So, so you can find, uh, this like going to a small town within a city. You can usually find that one street yep. that uh, started it all. Totally. I don't know what you think, but I think Winnipeg is the biggest small town in Canada for sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you talk every- to most people and they're from the countryside or they're from, yep. you know, some other place, maybe another country, but a small town there. They, they find the vibe and- here to be like what they like. And you're probably one degree of separation away from everybody else. You you probably know somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. I have a friend who says <laughs> yeah. it's point two. <laughs> yeah. Point that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Be careful how you talk to people because you're probably related to them or, you know, or, <laughs> or you know somebody very well who knows somebody they know very well. And then you're like, ah, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I guess that, that, that part of it too keeps every, everybody on the equal, on the even keel. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, what was it? Um, I just had another thing go through my head about this kind of thing, because um, yeah, it's like a, oh, there was a there was a Seth Rogen interview on Mark Maron, and I was kind mm-hmm. of interested in listening to it, and I was uh, and he started. They said they they did a disclaimer at the beginning saying it's going to be very Jewy, very Jewish talk on this one, so. You know, if you're not into that or whatever, if you can't take a lot of it, then, and I'm like, well, I don't care. That's great. I, you know, listen to anything that's interesting. So I was into it and they started talking about Jewish people when they immigrated to Canada or emigrated from uh, Europe and came to Canada. And he said he was from Vancouver and they were talking about um, where these different communities in Canada are. And when he mentioned the Winnipeg Jewish community, he Seth Rogen was saying, yeah, I don't know why they went there. Like, it's just, oh my God. And Mark Murray's like, Winnipeg, oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's terrible, terrible. Yep. And Seth Rogen yep. said, yeah, it's probably because it was the, it was, it was, uh, most like the dreary, depressing Eastern European countries. So they felt at home <laughs> there. And I was like, so what do you, you know, and they, and they were like, he was kind of chuckling or whatever, but they, the stuff he was saying, he really, I got the impression that he really meant it. And, uh, and I was yeah. like, doesn't he know there's a massive, you know, very active Jewish community here too, 
who actually puts out probably I, I think at one time they're they're supporting per capita they're giving the most to Israel you know and uh oh yeah and they're they're really it's a really close tight community and and they're proud and of, of who they are and what they do and I was like yep. you know doesn't that come into your equation Seth <laughs> like that they actually live here and like it and why is when why does everybody think Winnipeg's like minus 40 all the time it's just it's oh a, yeah you know, well just bizarre what when was the last time we got inundated with mosquitoes I, I think we need to like drop that one from our self-image. Yeah. Like where the mosquito problem is gone. Thanks climate change. Yeah. But yeah, well, uh, and like, fogging. I mean, and, and Taz solved that for us. Taz went, you know what you do is you do this, this, and this. And I remember the year he came in, we actually on our porch had put up, we installed uh, curtains, like curtain rods with netting that we bought just to keep the mosquitoes out just so we could be outside. Mm-hmm. And then Taz mm-hmm. took over and, the next year, every year after that, it massively dropped off as far as yep. mosquito population. And yep. and I was like, well, yeah, there you go. Like, <laughs> it's hardly anything now, you know, yet. Yeah, yep. everybody wants to say, okay, minus 40 in the winter, and which is all year. And then mosquitoes, which is seems to be all year in people's minds. And uh, yep. anyway, so I, I just... I need, I was just going to say, I, I need to go to Ottawa occasionally for work. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, minus five in Ottawa is no joke. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, know. They, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, when they say it's a dry cold, it's for real. Like yeah. minus 10 here is no big deal. Yeah. Uh, minus 10 in Ottawa is suffering. Well, it's so, like, it's like uh, last for- winter we had here, people said, oh, it's going to be zero. And they're all happy about it. And it's, I'm like, why are yeah. you happy about that? That's ridiculous. It's going to melt. And it's going to freeze again. So we're going to have moist, yeah. cold air like they have in every other place around bodies of water, which is horrible. And it's going to, you're going to be driving down the road. Your, your car is going to be iced up in the windows and the windshield. And where's the thrill in that? Like, I, I, I get a kick out of people that think it should be, that, that the weather should um, work to what they think it should be. Like it should match their, yeah. their outlook. And it's like, here's, here's a map to Hawaii because that's, you're describing Hawaii and you should go there. <laughs> like if you want to be happy, just that's, it's been like this all the time. It's probably in Wikipedia. You could look it up. Why did you move here? Yep. If you're not going to like whatever. And yeah, I mean, minus 20 is perfect. If it's, it's a dry cold and you can dress in layers and cross country ski. And probably at some yep. point you're going to be down to just a light shirt and, you know, and then as you slow down exercising, you'll layer back up. But yeah, it's like, it's, it's nothing like a, coastal or you know around the great yep. lakes and that my dna is set up for seasons and yeah. so i need to have four of them yeah and your mental so, health too right if you don't get a season it's like, absolutely it's like what's going on that's probably why la is the way it is like people go there and say oh this is perfect and nothing ever changes and and yep. they don't either <laughs> yeah well then now they're starting to have a fire season so who <laughs> yeah. knows yeah i don't know they're they're this funny yeah but uh, yeah, so it's a great woodshed. Like people, people that are here, you're not going to get rich being an artist here. But when you take your work to New York, you're going to be ready for that, and you're going to make a lot of money. And after a while, you're going to want to move back here to live. You know. Yeah. But it's, yep, absolutely. it's being from here. That's you know all of Manitoba. It's like the it's a great quiet place to get yourself together. For sure, and that winter is critical. I like having that ability, like where you don't really have a choice and your body's telling you just stay in. 
Yeah, snow day. Stay in and find something to do. Yeah, and uh, and that something to do can be so creative and and artistic. Yeah, that's what the snow days were for. You know, you get a call in the morning that the buses won't be running. Um, Yeah, remember those? Yeah, we don't have those anymore. No, and we I just love those because it was like unstructured whatever time. You'd help out around the house. You'd do this. You'd do that. You'd have your mom. You go play. You know, you can't. You you go outside. It's cold and stuff, but you're not. It's not like you're getting in a car going somewhere and going to be stranded. You're outside your own home. Go and enjoy the snow. Like, and, and yep. that's as creative as anything too. And, Indeed. Uh, yes, Plus necessary. we got to play Empire Strikes Back. Who else, who else in North America <laughs> got to play Empire Strikes Back? Exactly. And actually have the planet Hoss in their schoolyard. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Yep. None of those people. That's right. I'm That's surprised right. George Lucas even thought to have that scene. Like, where did he get that growing up in Modesto, California? <laughs> How do you get that notion? I don't know. Maybe he was here and we didn't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, did you play snow golf then as well with the orange balls? I've never played snow golf. I've played slow pitch in the snow Yeah. with an orange softball. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it was green, but um, yeah, I've played snow pitch, but never snow golf. Maybe I'll try that this winter. Yeah, and I think you need beer bottles with that. You're supposed to put beer around. That's the the golf hole or something, and you get to it, and you drink the beer or something. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, if I remember okay. correctly, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there always has to be a benefit, right? <laughs> There's another rule book you need to write up. Yeah. All not... right. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that's really cool. So, okay, so uh, you're pushing pushing still me. Um, yep. And it's available, I guess online or at stores uh yeah it's available at fine booksellers across manitoba and canada um my favorite currently uh, because i just had the book launch there last night is mcnally robinson uh Mm -hmm. sellers and if you want to uh, get a signed copy there are signed copies there and uh i hope that uh whoever's listening if you give it a shot i hope you enjoy yeah, it's a really good read. I'm enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet, Thank so you. I didn't want to give out any spoilers by accident. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is good. It is. It is a. Uh, it's it's fun. It's. Uh, oh, thank you. It's got those introspective plus the, uh, the the golf scenes and that, and it's it's really neat. I like it. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I tried to make it like golf, fun and difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With dimples. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, so good luck with uh, with the book. And are you have you started on another one already in your mind, or are you taking a break? Um, well, I am. I'm working on other projects. So I've got a, a screenplay project with my teenage daughter that we're working on during COVID times, mm-hmm. and uh, and then a video game project, uh, making an arcade game with a couple of friends. Ah, nice. So a, a Winnipeg-based arcade game. Oh, okay. Uh, so. We'll we'll see where that goes, and then in terms of the next book, I've, I'm starting to mull some ideas over about we're going to see what happens with this book, and uh, if I'm going to do another golf book or something completely different. Ah, sequel, <laughs> <laughs> round two, yeah, round two, Augusta, exactly. All right, so thank you, thank you, Jeffrey, and uh, we look forward to more books out of your pen and more TV shows off your uh, script writing tool. <laughs> anyway, okay, this is Mahangel. This is Manitobaville. You are the listener. You have a name. Go on manitobaville.ca. Send us a message. 
send us a note, tell us what's happening in your neck of the woods. We're always interested to find out new new possibilities for stories and interviews and whatnot. Okay, and of course we're very interested in telling you all about our new programming coming up down the road and all of that stuff is just a lot happening. Our heads are spinning and we're so happy. Anyway, um, yeah, just check it out. Just take a listen, uh, tune in, tune in to our social media, tune into our website, manitobaville.ca. Uh, rate us, review us if you want, uh, tell a friend, show us, uh, show them how to use a podcatcher. They already got the smartphone, show them. It's all in there. It's fabulous. You can find us all over the place. First place you look, you'll find Manitobaville. Guarantee it. Okay, so there it is. Uh, we're going to say goodbye for this episode, and we're going to come back at you next week, and we're going to work towards a brand new future. That's another foreshadow. <laughs> okay, so I hope you're keeping track. Get your bingo card out for foreshadowing on the Manitobaville podcast. Anyway, thank you for listening. Tune in next week. Uh, we'll continue with uh, our writer series, and um, it's going to be great. I think we have Cam. Cam. Oh, let's see. Cam Patterson, a director, a director who writes movies and books. All right, that's next week on the Manitobaville podcast. So thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you anon. And remember, the Manitobaville podcast is copyright 2022 Rodeo Road Studios. (laughs) 